Revelation 11. Let's open with a word of prayer. Let's dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Lord, we thank you that you wrote it down. We thank you again that this book is not hard to understand because we have your Holy Spirit. So Lord, be our teacher. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said, as I said before, I'm going to do this every week. I'm going to give you the quick outline of Revelation because I want you to remember it for the rest of your life. The book of Revelation is not difficult to understand. As a matter of fact, it's the only book in the Bible that has a divine outline. It's verse uh, 19, 18 or 19. I always forget. I always mix those up. I think it's 19. And it says, the things which you, which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. So the word revelation is apocalypsis, and it's the word, it means the unveiling. So it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. This is also the only book, while all books, this is true, that if you study them, God will bless it. But it's a book with promise. It says God will bless those who read it and obey it. And so I would encourage you that God's blessing is on those who read this. Now, I will say this, it's the most avoided book in the Bible. There's a lot of pastor friends of mine that will never teach it, have no desire to teach it. And I just blast them with Acts 20, where it says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I'm not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God, and nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. So we don't skip books in the Bible. Amen? Now, the outline, the things which you have seen, and that was chapter one. We saw Jesus in heaven in his glorified body. Now remember this, Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger, and he's no longer a savior on a cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's preparing a place for us, and he's interceding on our behalf. And when you see that picture of him in Revelation chapter one, he looks more like a warrior than he does a baby in a manger, amen? He's an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. So chapter one is the things which you have seen. The things which are, chapter 2 and chapter 3, which is known as the what? All right, church age. A few words are getting at church age. We see the, seven, the letters to the seven churches. The church is mentioned 19 times in these two chapters, and it's a picture of where we are today. So this, the church age began in the book of Acts after Jesus went into heaven, and it will end with the rapture of the church. So those are the things which are, the things which you have seen, Jesus in heaven, the things which are, the church age. Chapter four, verse one, the word is metatauta. Metatauta is called, when he's called up after the, the word is after these things. Metatauta, after these things, after the church age, what happens? We see from chapter four to chapter 19, we are now in the tribulation period. The church has been raptured. He says to John, come up here, harpazo, rapturo in Latin, where we get the word rapture. And you do not see the church mentioned again until we come back with Jesus at the second coming in chapter 19 and 20 at the end. And so then as we're in the tribulation period, the church is gone. Chapters four and five, what do we see? We see the church in heaven. It says that we see here the song of the redeemed. Angels aren't redeemed. Believers are redeemed. The church is redeemed. Amen? So we are in heaven. We are around the throne. The focal point is Jesus. The focal point is Almighty God on the throne. There's 24 elders around him. We're joining the heavenly choir. That's chapter 4 and 5. Then you get to chapter 6, and John's focus moves from heaven to the earth. And then we begin to see the righteous judgment of God that is coming upon a 
Christ denying rebellious people. Amen? They've denied the Lord. They've rejected Jesus as their Savior. And here comes the righteous judgment of God. But as we have also seen, in the midst of God's righteous judgment, there, and we'll see it more today, there are those that are preaching the gospel, and the reason that God doesn't just judge it in five minutes is because he's giving another opportunity for people to be saved. Now, there will be those that will take the mark of the beast. We'll see that more as we move forward. And then there'll be those that take the mark. It's a, a letter T that they will have on their forehead and that they're aligning with Christ. And believers who get saved, many, if not most of them, will be martyred for their faith. So in the last several weeks, we've been looking at the tribulation itself. If you were here last Sunday, I titled the message, uh, and, and I want to put just give you an idea of where we are before we get into a chapter 11. But we looked at the darkest, even in the darkest hour that God is in control, we saw this mighty angel come down. And it's not Jesus. We know for different reasons why I shared that in the text last week, if you were here. But this mighty angel, one foot in the sea, one foot on the land, and we see God's hand upon him and how God uses him to minister to the people. There will be things that remain a mystery to us until we get to heaven. We saw that God suffers long, but he doesn't suffer always. And then the last point was eat the book. You remember that? He took the book and he ate it. And guys, it's not enough for us to just scan the Bible. We want to take it. We want to ingest it. We want to make it a part of us. Amen? And I want to encourage you that we need to hunger for the Word of God. As Pastor Mark says, make the Word of God our home. Amen? Be at home in God's Word. Now, we're going to get to chapter 11. Look at your outline. By the way, just so you know, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, by the way, if you're new here today, it's your first time, we hope you feel welcomed and loved here at Calvary Chapel. We don't have church membership. You show up, we adopt you, you're part of the family. Amen? So when I do an outline, it's not, it's not an observational outline. It's not, an, it's not an, uh, where you, an interpretational outline where I'm taking the Bible verses and then interpreting them for you. What I do is I want to do an applicational outline. So based on what we see in the text today, we're going to see applications you can take home with you. That these things hopefully will impact your life, the way that I live, the way that you live. Now, before I get into that, I just want to just real quickly go over what has been happening so far. So I know I repeat this every week, but I want you to understand the context. You take a text out of context, all you left is a con, amen? So what has happened? There's been an economic collapse. The church is gone. The Christians are, are no longer in the building. Amen. We're all in heaven. We see the rise of the Antichrist, war, famine, a quarter of the world's population destroyed with the sword, famine, disease, and wild beasts, earthquakes, worse than any in human history, the sun turning black, the moon turning red. These are all things that have happened before we get to this, today's chapter. The sky rolled up. Every mountain and island moved out of its place. People are hiding in caves among the rocks in the mountains, hiding from God. Then we see an army of 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams, 144,000 evangelists preaching the gospel, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to see God has his hand upon them, and they're going to be a remnant preaching the truth. Hail and fire falling from the sky, a burning up of a third of the earth and its trees and all the green grass, a huge meteor or asteroid thrown into the sea, a third of the sea turned to blood, a third of all the fish and the sea life are dead, a third of all the ships are destroyed, a great star falls 
from heaven, burning like a torch. A third of all the fresh water is turned into blood. Many died from drinking this poisonous water. The sun, the moon, and the stars are darkened. The tides, the crops, the temperature uh, is unbearable. Then we see demonic locusts coming up out of the ground, tormenting the world's population for five months, and people won't be able to die. But they'll be getting stung, they'll be getting stung, they'll, they'll want to die, and death will be escaping them. So just think about this so far. Incredible heat, there's darkness because of the, what's happening in the sky, pain, and you can't die. What does that sound like? It sounds like hell. And you know what? I just want to say this. My prayer is not one person in this room goes there. We don't want anybody to go there. Heaven's real, hell's real. Let's not take that for granted or take that lightly. Amen? Having just survived the attack of 200 million man demonic army that comes out of the ground. By the way, they have faces like lions and tails like serpents. I don't want to deal with one of those, let alone 200 million. Amen? And they come up out of the ground, surrounded by disaster area, filled with dead bodies, and the people still refuse to repent in light of all of this. And so now that brings us to where we are now. We're in chapter 11. Again, in the midst of this, God will always raise up a witness. There will always be those that even in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation, even in the midst of the greatest amount of rebellion in human history, there will always be those who make a stand for God. So I tell the message, in the end, God wins. Amen? And we need to be reminded of that because as we live in the world today, we see that the world is getting further and further away from the Lord. We shouldn't be surprised. In the last days, they'll call good evil and evil good. And we need to remind ourselves that in the end, God wins. So point number one, everything is lining up for the Lord's soon return. We'll see in verse one and two, we'll be talking about the temple. And there's some things about the temple that are taking place today that we know that we are drawing near to the end. Now, no man knows the day or the hour, and people will say, you Christians have been talking about Jesus Christ coming back, and he hasn't come yet, so, well, that just means we're closer than we've ever been, amen? And we'll see that in tonight's text. What Satan means for evil, what a lost world does in open rebellion will be used for good in God's glory and God's in control. Number two, we don't just go witnessing, we are witnesses, Amen? Now, if you want to go door-to-door witnessing, I applaud that. Please do that. We should do that. But guys, we don't just go witnessing for an hour a week or once a month. We, go, we are witnesses everywhere we go to every person that we meet, every person that we talk to. We are called to be salt and light and point people to Jesus. Amen? So we, don't, we aren't just go witnessing. We are witnesses. Even in the end times, in the greatest rebellion... And the deepest depravity, there are witnesses that proclaim the truth. Witnesses that are empowered by the Lord, preaching the truth with boldness and without fear. And guys, the only way we can really be used by the Lord in an effective way, there must be less of us and more of Him. We need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number, point number three. Life is all about finishing the work God has given you, so finish strong. Do you know that the Lord has numbered your days? The Lord knew before the foundation of the world, the moment you would be born, the moment you would die. We have a limited amount of time on the earth, and when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? And so, guys, our focus on this vapor of time that we have on this planet, and again, we should work hard and have families and get married and do all those wonderful things. Those are wonderful. And and that's all part of God's plan for your life. But let's not miss out on the things which are eternal. Amen? 
And we need to keep, stay focused on eternity. The Lord has numbered our days. May we use them for his glory. We don't get time back. It goes like, it goes quickly. I just turned 60 a couple weeks ago. I'm entering the fourth quarter of my life, right? If I live to be 80, I hope we're raptured next week. But if, we live to be, if I live to be 80, uh, you know, I'm three quarters of the way through my life. And I want to finish strong for the kingdom of God. When we stand before God on judgment day, what are the things we're going to be really evaluating about our life? I like to look at my life backwards, like standing before God, realizing all the things I could have done, and it will be too late then. It's not too late now. Amen. And then finally, there'll be times when it looks like the enemy is winning, but fear not, in the end, God wins. We shouldn't be surprised when a lost and dying world acts like a lost and dying world. Amen? We don't put our faith or our trust in a sinful world, but a holy and a faithful God. So let's begin there in verse 1, looking at, in the end, God wins. Everything is lining up for the Lord's soon return. Now, this is John speaking. He's having this vision again. He's looking from a heavenly perspective, and it says this. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and an angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Now, he is looking at the time during the great tribulation. And as he is looking at the time during the great tribulation, he sees the temple there. Is the temple in Jerusalem right now? What's the answer? It's not there. Now, I'll give you a brief history on the temple itself. First of all, a measuring rod was a, a reed that was kind of stiff, and they would use it to measure things, usually about 10 feet tall. And we don't see, the, we don't see him measuring the temple. We, do, we did see it earlier with others doing it in that way, but he doesn't give the measurements of it because that's not really the focal point. But here he is, he's going to measure it. And chronologically, again, we're right in the middle of the tribulation. Now keep in mind that the book of Revelation was written somewhere between 90 and 96 AD. And that's important as we take a look at the temples. The first temple was, if you've been coming on Thursdays, was built by Solomon. Three people read their Bibles, that's good to know. I'm kidding. Solomon built the first temple. Who wanted to build it? And he wasn't allowed to because he was a man of what? There you go. All right. I'm feeling better. Okay. So because he was a man of war, God said you can't build it. So he literally got the blueprints together, got the building materials together, put the plan together. He died. Solomon built the temple. David had said, why should, I dwell, why should God dwell in a tent when I dwell in a palace? And so he put everything together and that temple was built and it was beautiful. Now, it was built in roughly 1050 BC, and in 605 BC, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. They invaded in three waves, and that was the time when the Jews were taken away and carried off into Babylonian captivity. In 586 BC, they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and the people were carried away captive. So that was the first temple from 1050 to around 536 or 586, excuse me, BC. The second temple was built after the uh, captives were released from Babylon, came back to Jerusalem in roughly 536 BC, or beginning actually in 516 BC. It was built by Ezra and Zerubbabel, oversaw it. Some Some 450 years later, that same temple, a man by the name of Herod the Great, in order to win favor with the Jews, remodeled it, expanded it, and they talked about it being the most glorious temple ever. 
Now that temple lasted until AD 70. When a man by the name of Titus, after Jesus had gone into heaven, if you remember that Jesus prophesied that, that not one of those rocks would remain, right? That it would all come down. The temple would be destroyed. And in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. Some believe that when it was set on fire, that all the gold in the temple melted in between the rocks. That's why all the rocks were torn down, because the soldiers were trying to get the gold out of it. And so the temple has been gone since AD 70. And so a lot of people who have other millennial views, especially the preterist view, they talk about the fact that everything in the book of Revelation already happened and ended in AD 70. The problem with that is the book was written in, that, in the 90s. Amen? So when he writes this book, the temple doesn't exist. And as he's looking down and seeing the temple in Jerusalem, the temple in our day, it's not there yet. Now, what we need to know, if you're going to Jerusalem with us, there's about 124 people in our group going to Jerusalem next January. There's still time to sign up. Uh, we're going with three other churches. I think there's around 30, 35 people from here that are going. And again, I would encourage you, if you can make that happen, I would encourage you to go. You will never regret it. Uh, it's been said, Pastor Chuck said, a, a, a year, uh, two weeks in Israel is worth a year of Bible college. And I agree with that. But when we get there, we will, we're going to go to a place called the Temple Institute. When you go to the Temple Institute, you've got these Jewish uh, believers, you know, Judaism, not in Jesus, who have put together pretty much every element needed to go into the temple. The menorah is there, you know, they're, 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 they've got all the pots and pans, they've got everything in order, and they're just ready and waiting for the okay to rebuild the temple. Now, what you'll also see when we get to Jerusalem is when you go up on top of, uh, you know, the temple mount, what's up there? A mosque, Okay. And it's called the Dome of the Rock. Now, what's been interesting is that some archaeologists have studied and they realized that while the Dome of the Rock is there, there's a space just north of it, right next to it, where they believe the actual temple used to exist. So as we're going to see, the temple is going to be rebuilt. When it's rebuilt, it will be built right alongside the Dome of the Rock. It will exactly be the, they found a, a, a rock, a, a foundation not too long ago that they believe is a foundation of the original temple. They're going to build it right on top of that. Now, why is all this significant? Because God's talking about this to John 2,000 years ago almost. And what does he say in verse 2? Look at this. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread on the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, when they rebuild the temple, and I believe the rebuilding of the temple, others would disagree, I think it's going to take place after we're gone. And here's what I believe is going to happen. There's going to be so much mayhem that the rise of the Antichrist is going to come because there's famine. We've seen all the things that are taking place. And he's going to come along with some kind of an answer, whether it's the ability to feed people, whatever it is. He's going to be a charismatic guy, as demonic as the day is long. And he's going to bring all the people under one leadership of his own. And I believe he's going to be the one that barters some kind of agreement between the Muslims and the Jews to allow them to rebuild the temple. And the temple will be rebuilt, but notice it says, do not measure the outer court because it's under the control of who? who are, what are Muslims? They're Gentiles. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile, Amen. And he says, don't even measure that court because they have 
the authority over it. Guys, it lines up perfectly. The Bible rocks, amen? Here it is, being spoke, he's seeing this in a vision, 90 AD, and here we are, fast forwarded, it's all in place. When we go to the Temple Institute, you're going to see everything's ready. All they need is someone to say, go ahead and do it, and that temple will be rebuilt during the Great Tribulation. Could even come beforehand somehow, but I don't believe, I mean, can you imagine that treaty taking place right about now? Not so much, but God can do anything, Amen. So that next temple will be the third temple, and again, we will. And again, we are close to seeing that take place. So, point number one: there, everything is lining up for the Lord's soon return. You know, the enemy always thinks he's winning. Do you think he thought he was winning when he was helped or had anything to do with the dome of the rock being built where the temple should be? You know, anytime the enemy does things, he thinks he's winning and all he's doing, God already knows, you can't thwart God's plan. Amen? There's nothing anybody can do to keep God's plan from happening. God is in control and God will overrule anything that man attempts to do. Amen? Now notice it says for 42 months. That would be three and a half years, right? And we've talked about this. How long is the tribulation? Okay, in the middle of the tribulation, the midpoint, we will see what is called the abomination of desolation. And we see that in Mark chapter, we see that in Mark 24 and Daniel chapter 9. And what happens is the Antichrist, who's brought about this peace treaty between you know, the Jews and the Gentiles, is going to go into the temple and he is going to he's going to uh, be sacrilegious in the temple. He's going to go into the Holy of Holies. He's going to make a sacrifice, and then he's going to proclaim himself to be God. And when he does that, they're going to look on him, they're going to realize that they've been duped. And there's going to be a great turn to the Lord during that time. So for 42 months, again, this is talking about the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and then we get to point number two. We don't just go witnessing, we are witnesses. Now, I love these two guys. I have an idea who I think they are. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter, but I think that that aligns up with who these two witnesses are, and it's a supernatural thing. Look what it says there in verse 3. And I will give power to my witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in ashes. Days were 360, years were 360 days that time. So this is another three and a half years. So I believe for the last three and a half years, this is talking about the two witnesses. The 144,000 had come earlier. They're witnessing. They're losing their lives, but they're making a stand for the Lord. And these two witnesses are going to be with the power of God, preaching with great boldness for three and a half years, a message that nobody wants to hear, and their lives are going to be preserved by God because we are indestructible until God is through with us. Amen? It says in Deuteronomy 19, one witness shall not arise against a man for many sin or guilt that may commit according to two witnesses or three witnesses, a matter shall stand. Throughout scripture, we see the Lord sending people out two by two. He sent his disciples out two by two. You need more than one person or the testimony doesn't count. So these two will be testifying of who Jesus is and they will be proclaiming the gospel with boldness, but they will also be bringing plagues upon the earth upon those who reject the Lord. So it says there in verse three and in verse four, it says, these are two olive trees 
and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. First of all, the word for witness there is martus. So we get the term martyr. So they were going to be martyrs for the kingdom of God, but we as witnesses should be willing to die for the cause of Christ if necessary. Because again, you can't threaten us with heaven. Amen? They're going to prophesy, which speaks both of predicting future events, but also proclaiming the truth. So a prophetic word, which get, that term gets abused a lot, when people try to tell you everything that's going to happen in the future. By the way, if someone prophesies once and is wrong, what does that make them? False prophet, okay? So we take the word of God as the final court of authority, and mostly the prophetic word is the word of God being preached, because we know this is right 100% of the time, amen? There are times God may speak through somebody and something into your life, and it will be accurate in your future. Now, Again, for three and a half years during the tribulation, while the Antichrist's forces are oppressing the city of Jerusalem, I believe after the abomination of desolation, all this is taking place. The world is in total mayhem. And here come these two guys. Now, how are these two guys going to have such a huge impact? Now, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, people would read this. We're going to see some things about these guys that the whole world is going to be able to see them. Now, if you talk to people 70 years ago, they would think, how's that going to happen? Amen? Did God know about technology? What's the answer? Amen? People had no clue, would doubt it, would question it. And, you know, and then, then we got the news. Well, now beyond the news, what do we have? It's in your back pocket. If, if, this, if this happened in Jerusalem right now, all your phones would blow up. You'd have them all out and you'd be watching it happen. Amen? So we're going to see that these Men are going to be used mightily by God. I, I skipped one thing back there in verse 3. It said, one, and, and clothed in sackcloth. Clothed in sackcloth. These guys got to be wearing gunny sacks. Why would they do that? It's a sign of humility. And imagine making underwear that is the itchiest stuff you've ever had on. Why would you do that? But these two witnesses aren't here to announce a party. It would seem likely that they're going to be here weeping and mourning over the judgment that is coming and the people that are being lost. Jeremiah said this, For this, clothe yourself in sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. They are, they are mourning over the fact that people are going to hell without Jesus, that people are rejecting the gospel. And guys, we as believers should be mourning. Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. Amen. We should be burdened for them. Our heart should break for them. Now, again, they served with power. This is so important, guys, because again, in Acts chapter 1, he says, go and wait, and you shall receive power. The word there is dunamis, dynamic, right? When do you receive that power? When what happens? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So these are spirit-filled men being used mightily by God to proclaim the truth of the gospel to a world that largely hates the Lord, is in total rebellion, and they're making a stand for God. You got to love these guys. Now, verse four again, there are two olive trees and two lampstands. Now, what in the world is that? Well, when you look at Zechariah, there's uh, these witnesses have a unique continuing of power. So the, the lampstand constantly had to be filled with oil. So one of the things a priest would do is go in and fill it with oil, fill it with oil, fill it with oil. And Zechariah talks about a system where they had the tree, these olive trees that are known for their olive oil going directly into the lampstand so the oil never went away. So it just stayed filled all the time. 
filled all the time, lit all the time, on fire all the time. Amen? Now, how many of you want to sign up for that program with the Holy Spirit? Amen? Filled all the time refreshed all the time, walking in his power all the time. And that's the description of these two guys that are making a stand for the Lord, that are unashamed of the gospel, that fear nobody but God, needed not only for these two witnesses, but for all of us, if we're to be faithful to God's calling upon our lives. Now watch what happens. Verse five, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouths. And devours their enemy. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. I'm thinking if a guy's preaching with boldness and then somebody comes to attack him and he breathes fire on them, that's going to be on everybody's phone. Can I get an amen to that? Dude, do you see what's happening? This dude's breathing fire, man. Now, is he actually breathing fire? Maybe, probably. He could just be calling fire down from heaven. Now, do we know anybody in the Bible that called fire down from heaven more than once? Elijah. That's why I think one of these guys is Elijah. Do you remember how Eli did Elijah die? What's the answer? He's brought up into heaven. I believe it's Elijah because he's going to be preaching with boldness. He's going to be speaking out against the false gods of this world. And he's going to be uh, bringing down fire, whether it's from his own mouth or calling out for God to do it. Remember when the prophets of Baal, they made the sacrifices. By the way, if you go to Israel, we're going to go to Mount Carmel. We're going to stand where this happened, where all the prophets of Baal cried out for their God to you know, bring fire and consume the altar and nothing happens because their God doesn't exist. Amen? And Elijah reminds them throughout, where's your God? Is he off hunting? Maybe he's asleep. That's in the Bible. You should read it. At one point, he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. It's in the Bible. Then he soaks water and calls down fire. It comes down and consumes the altar. So I believe one of these guys is Elijah, bringing fire. If anyone wants to harm him, these two bold and faithful witnesses in the midst of worldwide chaos and, and, of, and the religious judgments of God will face a great deal of anger and hatred from those who refuse to repent, who are angry with God, who want to kill his messengers, and God protects his messengers and his message. Amen? Again, we're indestructible until God's through with us. So we should be living a life with reckless abandon for Jesus. Amen? Because let's go for it for the kingdom of God. What's the worst thing the world can do to you? Is the best thing that could ever, ever happen to you? They can't threaten you with heaven. Amen? And so these guys are bold, and God's using them, and they're speaking into a perverse and wicked generation. It's like California. Amen? But, but we're here for a reason, called to be salt and light. God is in control, and no one touches his kids without his permission. Amen? Now, does that mean that if you're boldly witnessing for the Lord, you won't face persecution or harm, or maybe even be martyred? What's the answer? Of course you can be, right? But again, these guys, their, their perspective and their focus was on reaching people with the truth of the gospel and standing for the truth with boldness in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with plagues as they often desire. Now, along with calling down fire, who went into Ahab and said, bro, not going to rain? Who said that? Elijah. Again, remember, he went in and said, it's just not going to rain. 
And that's one of the reasons why when he was pouring water on the altar, they were getting upset because it hadn't rained for three and a half years. So Elijah calls fire down from the sky. He's also one who's proclaimed it's not going to rain. Now, God can use anybody to do that. It's not Elijah that does it, but God that does it through him. But this looks like Elijah to me. But look else what these, they do. They have the power of the waters to turn them to blood. Do we know anybody in the Bible that, turned, that God used to turn water into blood? Who was that? Moses. Okay. Let me ask you another question. It says here, and strike the earth with plagues. Who brought plagues? Moses. So look, God, this could be anybody. I think it's Elijah and Moses because I believe this is the things, the way God used them when they were here and the way that God's used them when they're going to use them when they come back. Amen. Looks like Elijah and Moses to me. It says in first Kings and Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord of God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And guess how long it didn't rain? Three and a half years. Does that sound familiar? Guys, the Bible rocks, amen? Nothing happens by chance in the kingdom of God. Struck him with plagues, picture of Moses. So the second thing we see, we don't just go witnessing, we are witnesses. And the only way we can witness is if we walk in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled afresh daily. You guys know my prayer every morning before I get out of my bed is, Lord, fill me afresh. It's yes, Lord, your servant here. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Bring me divine appointments today. Let me be a tool in the hand of my master, just that he might be glorified. I want that day to count for eternity. Amen. I don't want to live days that have no impact on eternity. Let's have days that impact eternity. Thirdly, life is all about finishing the work that God has given you. How many of you know that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he gave you spiritual gifts? Amen. And most of us have many spiritual gifts, but one of the things that's, one of the reasons the church isn't as effective as it could be. I think it's two things. One, biblical illiteracy. People don't read their Bible. And number two, people aren't using their gifts. Somebody said this to me years ago. A church is like a football game sometimes. You got 80,000 people watching and 22 people down there beating each other up until they're almost dead, right? And there's a lot of where people give their life to the Lord and they just sit on the sideline their entire life. And I want to encourage you with something. Serving the Lord is a get-to, not a have-to. Amen? And there's no greater joy than being used by God for his kingdom and for his glory. It's just, there's just nothing better. Amen? I'm so blessed I get to be a pastor. But I will tell you, I get exhausted studying. But I want to tell you something. I'm never closer to the Lord in my heart than when I'm hanging out with Jesus and I'm studying his word for hours on end and I just feel like I'm in his presence and there's such peace about it and then getting up and then being able to share what God shows us in his word. And see, you have gifts I don't have. I may have gifts you don't have. If the body of Christ is gonna function, we all need to be using our gifts for his kingdom and his glory, amen? And I truly believe that every gift should be active in a local church, which means there, if there are gifts that aren't being used here, one of you's holding out. Amen? I'm encouraging you. I, I, look, I'm not trying to get people to sign up or to do a bunch of activity because where God guides, God provides. God provides not just the resources, but he provides the people to do it. Notice, look at verse 7. This where it starts getting heavy. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them 
overcome them and kill them. So for three and a half years, these guys are preaching with boldness. There is great hatred toward them because they're they're not watering down the truth. And as they speak with boldness, they're also bringing plagues upon the earth. They're bringing God's righteous judgment. But I think as much as it's the plagues, because let's face it, with all the stuff that's already happened, the plagues kind of fit right in, right? But it's the word of God that is bringing the hatred. Have you ever noticed how much hatred people have toward the cross? Does that make any sense at all? Jesus died on the cross. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. The greatest act of love in all of human history. And people see a cross on the side of a road and they lose their minds. They want it taken down. They'll spend millions of dollars. If they have a big boot on the side of the road, they'll go throw an orange in its lap. They won't do anything about it. But the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. Amen? And, and when you proclaim the gospel... Be ready to be reviled for it because sinful man hates to be told that he's a sinful man. Sinful man hates to be told that you're not God. There is a God and you're not him. Amen. There is an almighty, all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God who created you in his image and he is on the throne, not you. He's in control, not you. Amen. And people don't want to hear that. And so as these guys are proclaiming this, and keep in mind, these are all the people that are left after the church is gone. These are all the people that have refused to repent in the midst of all the plagues that were taking place and all the righteous judgment of God being poured out. These are hard-hearted people. And when you got two guys just continually, without fail, nonstop, spirit-filled, proclaiming the truth, breathing fire on those that get in the way, you're not going to be liked. Amen? But you know what? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. Amen? Now, you might be sitting here saying, I've never been persecuted for my faith or had anybody say anything back to me in my life. Here's what I would tell you. Start living for Jesus. Amen? When you stand for the things of God, the world's not going to like it. Any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? Anybody can just be like the world and just follow the world and do what the world does and nobody will notice. We don't want to be those people, amen? It came out of a bottomless pit. This guy comes out of a bottomless pit indicating that he's empowered by Satan. And since Satan is depicted as a dragon, this figure is not Satan. And in chapter 13, this beast is referred to as the world ruler or the Antichrist. So he imitates the true Christ. He rules over the world and demands their worship. And the bottomless pit is a prison for certain demons. Though he is a man, the beast is energized by demonic presence and the power coming from the abyss. John John talks about this same beast again in chapter 13. We'll see this in a few weeks. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. This authority will involve persecution of believers like these two witnesses. It says in Revelation 13, it was granted for him to make war with the saints, to overcome them, and the authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, when we see certain things happening in the world today, when we see the Pope and Muslim leaders and leaders of other all gathering together and trying to be unified, In the end, there is going to be a one world religion, and it's not going to be the truth. Amen? 
And there are going to be those who are blaspheming the things of God. And, and those who stand up for the things of God are going to be shouted down. Right now, a lot of us are afraid, just be honest, to speak up about certain things because you're afraid of the opposition you'll face, that you might get canceled, you might lose your job, you might lose some friendships. Don't be a jerk, don't be self-righteous, but stand up for the truth. Amen? God created the male and female. That's a fact. Amen? And we can stand and say, there is no such thing as transgender. No such thing. It's somebody pretending to be something that they're not. Amen? There is nothing I can do, thank you, Jesus, to be a woman. That's just stupid. Amen? Point I'm making, though, is these demonic things are attacking, they attack, and Pastor Mark's going to touch on it. They, they attack on creation. There's an attack on male and female. There's an attack on God's plan for marriage. All of that stuff, the foundation of the Christian faith is under attack. That is all demonic, and it's all from the enemy. Amen? And so here we have this situation where this beast comes and attacks these two witnesses. Now, they didn't die for three and a half years. Why not? Because God protected them. Now they're going to die, which means that's part of God's plan. And you know what? I pray that God would be glorified not only in our lives, but how we die and what we're doing when we die. And, and prayerfully, when people gather together to talk about the life that we live, I pray that God would be glorified. Can I get an amen to that? We want to finish strong for Jesus. And these guys do. God knows your end. And I find comfort in the fact that God has control of when I die. He will not allow me to die before my time, but when my job on earth is done, and that's when we go home. It says in Isaiah 54, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. There is a sense in which I do not need to fear what I'm going to be hit by, if I get hit by a truck tomorrow, God's, God numbered my days. I'm okay with it. 2009, I went to the hospital, thought I was having a heart attack. I'm in the back of the ambulance, and the people in the ambulance are panicking. And when they're panicking, that's not good, right? Unless you're ready for heaven, then it's great. Amen? And they were pouring nitroglycerin down my throat. I had just taught Revelation chapter 1 the previous Sunday, Jesus in heaven. And I'm in the back of that ambulance praying for my family and going, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Guys, there's no better time. I've never been so glad that I was saved when I was in the back of that ambulance. Amen? It's appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. And if you're a believer, you need not fear death because death has no sting and Christians die well. Amen? Now these guys, the enemy is going to strike him down. It says right there in verse 7, when they finish their testimony... They finished their testimony. They finished what God had called them to do. They finished. They were faithful to the end. And when they were finished, then God allowed the enemy to strike these guys down. Now, they were finished with their testimony in the beginning, but God's still going to use them again. Now watch what happens. They kill him. Now watch. Verse 8, and their bodies will lie in the street in the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, which is also where the Lord was crucified. Where is that? Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem. Now, comparing Jerusalem to Egypt is to say they'd gone back into their old life, their life of bondage, Pastor Dave's opinion. And comparing it to Sodom just means it's a place of sinful behavior. 
And it says in Isaiah, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah, comparing Jerusalem is, is saying this is a sinful, wicked place, and they are there, and they've been proclaiming the truth of the gospel, and while they are there, they were struck down dead. So they're dead, and they leave their bodies. Notice it says there, uh, they, they will lie in the street, and again, they're going to they're gonna be on the street laying their dead for three and a half years. Look at verse 9. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the graves. Now again, if you read that, from people's tribes, tongues, and nations, how are all these nations, see this was the, the pushback, how are all these nations going to see these guys in the street in Jerusalem dead for three days? It's media. It's going to be on your phone. Dead guy update, two days, right? <laughs> Look, they're still there. They're, mo- they're going to be mocking them. They're, they're, wait, wait till you see the next verse. They're going to be mocking them. They're going to be excited that they're dead. They're going to be celebrating because these men who stood up for the word of God have died. Again, 50 years ago, you can't imagine how it would be possible for everyone to see this. Three and a half days, we believe, these two witnesses, again, as they are lying there, that they are, you know, Moses... And Elijah, right, were both from Israel, Jewish guys, right? And when a Jewish person dies, they put them in the ground immediately. This is also kind of their way to defame them, to humiliate them. And again, as a believer, when you stand for God, don't be surprised when the world wants to defame you or humiliate you or lie about you or make false accusations against you. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. So they did the prophets who went before you. So their ministry was three and a half years and they lay in the street for three and a half days. I'm just telling you, the, nothing happens by chance in the Bible. Amen? And look what it says in verse 10. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. How did they torment them? I don't think it's talking about the fire or the plagues. They were tormented by the truth of the gospel. And if you don't know the Lord, the gospel should torment you. Amen? If, if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind, because we have nothing to fear because if God is for us, who can be against us? But if you don't know God, you should be afraid. Amen? And you should be fearful. And so when he, that, that proclamation of the word, they can't shut these guys up. They're, and they're, you know, they're breathing fire on people. It's on the news. They're sharing that. So everybody's covering it. It's every, right? And these guys just won't stop. So when they're dead, they're celebrating. They, have a, they make a new holiday. The prophets died holiday. They're handing out presents like it's Christmas to celebrate the fact that these two guys are so on fire for God are dead. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the rejoicing of those who cried out, crucify him, when Jesus died on the cross. But it was only Friday and Sunday's coming. Amen? You know, when they rejoice. They, they're glad. The Pharisees, Satan himself, no doubt, thought he had won the victory. These guys think they have won. It's not surprising to me. We're going to see what happens after three days. God thing. Amen? Guys, our God triumphs over sin and death. He is the one who has authority over it. These guys only died because God allowed it. And guys, we don't die until God says 
it's okay. And when we do, it's not death. It's just graduation day. Amen? We just close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory. We get to spend eternity with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Death of these two witnesses will touch off wild celebrations around the world. And by the way, you know what's crazy? Notice a word you see in that. It says, they will rejoice. That's the only time that word's in the book of Revelation. Whole book, no rejoice, except when the two godly witnesses are dead. Does that tell you where the world is during the, great, during the, uh, the tribulation? What a mess. They're going to make merry. That means glad, make joyful, be delighted, send gifts, new holiday, dead prophets day, Hallmark, get a card, right? They were tormented. The last time we saw this word was when the demonic locust creatures were stinging people back in chapter nine. They were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them. So they were tormented and again, the fire from heaven, they called for a drought, they turned the water into blood, they struck the earth with plagues, but I truly believe it's because they preached the gospel and people don't want to hear it. I had a friend in high school, we were really good friends, he played basketball, I played football, we worked out together, we became pretty close, I witnessed, tried to witness, and when I would try to witness to him, I'm not kidding, this is what he would do, no, 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 I'm not kidding, no, 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 I go, Jeff, dude. Relax, bro. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. What are you afraid of, bro? I don't want to hear that. I say, you know why you don't want to hear that? Because you're a sinner in need of a savior just like me. You need to be born again. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to be confronted with your sin. By the way, you can cover your ears and shout like a banshee the rest of your life, and you're still going to go to hell if you don't get right with Jesus. Amen? People don't want to hear it. They want to silence it. Take the Bible out of school. Don't talk about the Lord. And, and you know what? And we make the mistake. I've had Christians tell me we should never talk about religion or politics. Yeah, keep the politics. But I'm talking about Jesus everywhere. Can I get an amen to that? We should be unashamed of the gospel. If we don't tell people about Jesus, who in the world's going to do it? Amen? And that's why we live here, to be salt and light to a perverse and wicked generation that desperately needs the Lord. They tormented those who dwell on the earth. The preaching of these two witnesses and the call to repentance was a torment for many because they could not stand to hear the truth while they loved their lies. Amen? People love their lies. And by the way, the truth, not a truth, not my truth, not your truth. Amen? Well, my, you know, my, I'm just living my truth. Shut up. <laughs> Forgive me for that. But I just drive me crazy. I'm sorry. There's no my truth. There's no my, just stop it. There's the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? Well, in my truth, I don't believe that. It's because you don't have a truth. You have a lie. Amen? We're not living our truth. We're going to be accountable to the truth. Amen? I keep saying I shouldn't say stupid from the pulpit. Forgive me again. I did it last week and this week. I'm in trouble with the Lord. I just don't know what else to say about that. It drives me crazy. Last point. There will be times when it looks like the enemy is winning, but fear not, in the end God wins. Look what happens. Now, after three and a half days... 
Okay, so they've been rejoicing. Woohoo! Party time! Prophets are dead! Give out some gifts. Let's be excited. Let's make merry. Let's get lit. Prophets are dead. They think they've won. Look at verse 11. Now, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Amen, amen, and amen. After three days, they were risen. Where does that sound familiar? Our God has triumphed over sin, death, and the grave, and our God is in control of sin, death, and the grave. Amen? He's, he's, a father, he's the one who gives life. He breathes life into them, and they stand back up, and you think that might have been on everybody's, going to be on everybody's phone. Dude, those dudes got up. Did you see they got up? It's on the news. They got up. What's that going to do? It's going to prove to all of them that the God they preached is God. Amen? He's triumphed over sin and death. Again, like the crowd that shouted crucify him and celebrated the crucifixion of Jesus were only petrified when he had risen from the dead. Again, I bring the greatest torment for these Christ-rejecting sinners was the proclaiming of the gospel, the condemning of their sin, the calling to repentance, and their deaths were celebrated because it silenced the truth. And Satan wants to silence the truth more than anything today. That's why all these lies and all these distractions, all this distraction about transgenderism, all this distraction about political things, all these distractions that get our eyes off what really matters, we need to know him and make him known, Amen. And we get so caught up in all these distractions. The enemy wants to take us away from the truth and keep us from proclaiming it. These deaths were celebrated and they thought they had silenced the truth. No doubt, here's probably what they said. How great could their God be? They're dead. That God they talked about, he couldn't be real because they're dead. They preach the truth and proclaim miracles and fulfill prophecy, condemn sinners and call people to repentance. And Jesus proclaimed to be both God and Messiah they had been waiting for. And they thought when Jesus died, they mocked him and silenced and validated his message. Jesus, if you're God, save yourself. Bring yourself down from that cross. You know why he didn't get down? Because he wanted you in heaven. Amen? Because he wanted to pay the price for your sins so you could have eternal life. It wasn't nails that held our Savior to a cross. It was his love for each and every one of us. Guys, he loved us that much. He sacrificed that much for us. How can we deny him to a lost and a dying world? How can we not stand up for him? How can we not proclaim him? Again, it was Friday, but Sunday has now come. God entered them. The whole world saw these men stand up and fear fell on them. The word fear there is phobos. It's a great terror, something that strikes terror. Jesus' resurrection and Jesus raising up these two prophets struck terror into the hearts of those who rejected Jesus and the truth of the gospel that was proclaimed by these prophets. The gospel is good news for those who believe. It's bad news for those who don't. Amen? If you reject Jesus and you want no part of the cross and you deny the resurrection and you deny all of that, for you it's bad news. Time to get right with him. Last two verses, three verses, excuse me. Verse 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. Does that sound familiar? We already had the rapture, right? In chapter four, verse one. Now we got a two-man rapture. 
And look what happens. Come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Now, here's some good news. All the other things that have taken place, we see very little. There's some, but very little repentance. Look at verse 13 and 14. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. And the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, was there a great earthquake? What's the answer? And people got up out of the ground that had died and walked around and proclaimed the gospel. You would think everybody would get saved, amen? And in this case, when they ascended to heaven, there's a great earthquake, clearly a connection between them dying, raising from the dead, ascending into heaven. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Amen. It's all pointing to the picture of Jesus. The earthquake hits. And then look at the last, look at the end of the verse. It said, and said they were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. There were some that in this group see this happen who are going to recognize that Jesus is God. Now, again, how many, we do not know, but some will actually finally respond to what happened. And then it says, and the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So remember that chapter, 11, or chapter 10 and chapter 11, verses 1 through 14, are an interlude between the sixth and the seventh judge trumpet. So we, we stop in the middle of every, all this mayhem to point back to Jesus, to point back to the fact that God is faithful and God is in control and the word of God is going to be proclaimed. And when we pick up next week, the seventh bowl judgment comes out, or seventh trumpet, excuse me. And within that are the seven bowl judgments, and it's going to be judgment that makes everything else that's happened up to this point look like a cakewalk. And it's the last three and a half years. The, the Bible talks about it being the times of trouble, Israel's trouble, right? And it's going to be that time of all this stuff's going to take place. And while, while all that is happening, as we will see, it's still an opportunity for people to get saved. His desire is that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? So, does the Bible rock? It's good stuff. And in the end, guess what? God wins. So everything is lining up for the Lord's soon return. We see it with the Temple Mount and everything else is taking place. We don't just go witnessing, we are witnesses. Every one of you is called to be salt and light. God has divine appointments for you this afternoon. When you go to work tomorrow, when you walk down that hill, you're entering your mission field, amen? By the way, during the rummage cell, there's signs up out throughout the community. So we might have people from the community coming to the rummage cell. Let's give them some stuff and give them Jesus. Can I get amen to that? Amen? And if they want a hamburger, give them one, have them sit down. Let's tell them about the Lord and invite them to church. Amen? I love to have the community here. Life is about finishing the work God has given you. Finish strong. What has God called you to do? Can we be faithful to that? Lord, help us. And there will be times when it looks like the enemy is winning, but fear not, in the end, God wins. I can think of no better time to go to a time of communion. How about you? To remember the cross of Calvary, the greatest act of love in all of human history. If you're here this morning and you're a believer... This communion is for you. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering the cross of Calvary. As you take the elements and hold them in your hand, we'll all take it together. I want to encourage you to do three things. Look back to the cross and remember what Jesus did for you. Look within your own heart. May this be a time of confession if necessary, of getting right with the Lord. And then finally, thirdly, look forward. Because Jesus told the disciples, 
on that night when he was to be crucified, that the next time he would take communion or the Lord's Supper with them or Passover Seder is what they thought it was at the time, would be in heaven. So there's a day coming we'll do this with the Lord in heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to this time of communion, Lord, you would soften and prepare our hearts to remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. Lord, may we do this as an act of worship and a remembrance of you. Now, I'd be remiss not to do this before we go to communion. The communion is for believers. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Salvation is something that is offered universally. Jesus died for all, but must be accepted individually. He will never force salvation on you. You need to respond to it by faith and say, yes, I need to be saved. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He died on the cross for you. So to surrender your life to him, there's a word. It's called repent. It means I'm living my own life. I'm on the throne of my own life. I'm walking in a direction. And it's a change of heart or change of mind, a change of direction where you turn away from the person you are today and you surrender your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You take yourself off the throne and you place him there. And when you confess your sin before him and ask him to be your savior, not just your savior, but your Lord, his Holy Spirit will come to live inside of you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You have the promise of eternal life. The church is raptured, you'll go with us. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you're here today and you've never done that, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are and I will pray with you and you can know that you're going to heaven and that the Lord is now the Lord of your life. Anybody at all, don't leave here without him. Love you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. Serve an all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. As we go this time of communion, we do this in remembrance of you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.